0: Week four, boldness and confrontation. We're in the series Church on Fire, studying the entire book of Acts because I believe God is calling us to be a church on fire, but not setting expectations on what fire looks like, not setting expectations on what everyone says revival looks like, rather learning just how to seek God like the apostles and the disciples did and, and let him do what he wants, how he wants, and it's going to look like however he wants. Amen? So with this church on fire, we're in week four, and last week we saw that Peter and John, enter entering the temple into daily prayer, finds this beggar who had been crippled since birth, and long story short, they healed the beggar, and he got up and he danced, and he and he told the people what had happened, and the crowd came to him, and we 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 talked about the idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus, that. Peter and John commanded the beggar to fix his eyes on them because what he needed to do was uh, they needed to show him that what he was expecting was not enough. He was in a condition of being crippled and he wanted money and Peter and John said, you're expecting us to help you with your condition, but God wants to see you out of that condition, so you want money for us to sustain the condition, but what we're going to give you is something that only the Father can give you, and that is you're going to walk in a, literally in a new identity, no longer as a crippled beggar, but as someone who can walk and create his own wealth and work again, and you're going to go into this, and it was all because they were fixing their eyes on God. And today, that story continues of Peter and John healing this beggar, and we pick up in Acts chapter 4, starting in verses 1 through 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Can someone say amen to that? The apostles were performing signs and wonders and miracles in the upper room, and now, as soon as they perform the first public ministry without Jesus being in their literal midst, The first thing that happens after they heal a man is they were arrested and put in jail. But what I want to point out in reading this first few verses of Acts chapter 4, they were not put in jail because a man was healed. They were put in jail because of what they taught when the people said, how did this happen? And a lot of times we tend to focus on the fact that they healed this man and they put them in jail thinking oh they must be sorcerers or they must be practicing witchcraft or something but no there was no arguing that this was a legitimate healing the argument was why are you telling these people that a man we killed on a cross is the reason this man is now walking and the fact of the matter is when we begin to bring truth truth always comes with some level of confrontation not so much the manifestation of miracles but the truth that we preach behind what's going on. And unfortunately what happens is the message that they were arrested for, when confrontation comes to us, when we're trying to live the life of of a Christian life, under the command of God, under the direction of God, when we're trying to do the right thing, when we're telling people the truth, what we tend to do is when people disagree with that, we tend to kind of back up. And make excuses and make apologies because we don't want to offend people. And the church cannot be on fire if they're more concerned about the offense of people rather than being under the direction of God. And Peter and John, no matter what was happening, they would not say we did this. They would not say this was just circumstance. They said that we are going to give all glory to Jesus. And if you don't like it, you can do whatever you want with us. I think we need to be a church that on fire. When the government says stop, we get louder. And I'm not talking about being disrespectful to government. The Bible says we need to respect and honor our officials. If a police officer says you're speeding, take the ticket. You're wrong. I'm talking about when they say be silent. I'm talking about when your family says... We don't like the fact that you stand for this anymore. We, don't want you to, we want you to agree with what we do, and we've got to say we love you, but you're not going to tell us what we believe our God is, and we're going to speak his truth. And if that means you are no longer going to accept me, I would rather be accepted by him than be accepted by you. Amen. I would rather offend you in truth and be under my God than please you and forsake my Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the message they were arrested for, not the healing, but the message they were arrested for caused many to believe. And in that moment, the church went from 3,000 to 5,000 people because not because someone was healed, but people asked, how did it happen? And it was an opportunity to bring truth to thousands of people. Don't be mistaken. The enemy will come against you when you speak truth. I do not find it coincidence that in the season of my strongest teaching and going against popular norm, that in speaking truth, after eight years of no activity, my tumor is starting to grow. It's not coincidence. This is the real deal. When you speak truth, you will have confrontation on some level. Whether it be from your friends, families, health, whatever it is, there will be some level of confrontation. And I believe one of the biggest things of confrontation that we're going to face is not necessarily a health thing, but I think the biggest thing that we're going to face as a church is a religious mindset. And religion does not just mean church. Because I think some of the most spirit-filled people can be just as religious as people who don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is active. See, we always tend to put religion on people who aren't kooky and loud. We tend to put religion on the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics. But you go to a spirit-filled person, and when they tell you the only reason you can have Holy Spirit is to, is to speak in tongues, so they're going to command tongues out on you, they are hinging their whole belief on religion. It is You have to have a manifestation of that for you to be proven. That's religion. It's, it's not a relationship thing. It's not a seeking thing. It's let me see the practice thing. Religion is simply this people who are accustomed out of habit, duty, and pattern. Some of our food ways are religious. You know, I'm talking about when you want to see a movie, what do you eat? Popcorn. But God says, honor your temple, but we're stuffing it with carbs, salt, and butter. That's religion. We, we don't eat popcorn to honor God. We eat popcorn to fulfill our fallen flesh. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's a pattern that we're in. It's a religion that we're in. It is something we do out of habit, duty, and pattern. And people worship habits, duties, and patterns to such a degree that if anything begins to exalt itself above their habit, duty, pattern, above their way, their response is usually to throw away truth and make excuses to fit their habit, duty, or pattern. There are big things in the world right now that's coming against the church because of beliefs, practices, and patterns. There's talks of abortion beliefs and homosexuality. There's all kind of stuff that's really on the forefront of, Of the media right now. And the fact of the matter is. The human condition. Wants to get into this pattern. Of a religious mindset. Where we rebuke these people. And and hurt these people. Then on the other side of that. We get in this mindset. Of. Well, we don't want to offend people, and the new wave of Christian love is let's accept everyone because they should be able to choose their thing. But if I'm reading my Bible correctly, the moment I accepted Jesus was the moment I gave up my rights. And the fact of the matter is there is a truth in this word where you have to say, I'm willing to lose you to gain him. And it might not work for you, and it might not work for your beliefs, but God is too big to care about impressing you. He loves you enough to pull you out, and the way he's going to pull you out is he's saying, this is my law, this is how my kingdom works, and if you want to store up treasures in heaven, if you want to take care of every need, if you want access to healing, if you want access to love, if you want to be wrapped up in my arms, then your temple that I have to live in has to look a certain way, and my curtain does not look like homosexuality, it looks like heterosexuality. My curtain doesn't look like abortion. It looks like love. But let's get to the other side. But when people make mistakes, my people surround them in love instead of put them down. Let's not forget the double side of it. We're so quick to accuse. But if I'm reading this correctly, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. I'm not going to accuse the brethren. I'm going to drag them out of what they're in into a light so that they will see a better way instead of pushing them down in the ignorance that is called darkness. Am I talking to anybody? We need to embrace this idea of what true love is. You know what true love is? Jesus was so bold in truth that he died. And he rose again, and now these two men are so so bold in seeking God that they get thrown in jail because they heal a guy and said, it's because of the man that you killed and rose three days later. They weren't backing down. Tom Petty didn't write that song. Peter and John did. (laughs) A church on fire who humbly accepts this truth, we care more about the kingdom than worldly acceptance. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. He doesn't bless those who make everyone feel loved. He blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. I love it when I get persecuted for doing right because I know that I'm going to be blessed. That's why I'm, I'm bold enough to speak the truth whether you like it or not. If you, I want you to leave with some part of you offended. And I don't mean offended that oh my gosh Kyle was disrespectful. I mean bringing a truth that causes us to go and say we've got to cut this out. You don't lead cancer in; you cut cancer out. And some cancers are the sins that we so easily embrace as our identity, because when you lead cancer in, it eats you alive. Amen. It says, "God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs." God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. I must be a pretty blessed man. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same Way. are you willing to pursue truth to such a degree and be so bold to live in it that the only thing that moves you is what awaits in heaven instead of what awaits you on the acceptance of someone else and the beautiful thing is which we've been taught wrong it says in the scripture that you're going to be lied, lied about you're going to be persecuted people are going to come against you and it says be happy about it a great reward awaits you in heaven Here's where the miss has become. We think that means we have to endure it and we only see the reward when we get to heaven. But here's what we need to realize. With the power of the Holy Spirit being covered in God, we have a power to access a dimension of heaven and bring down the treasure right here and right now. And this is what I mean by that because I saw some of y'all go, "What's, what's that about? The treasure in heaven don't look like treasure on earth. The simplest form of being persecuted because you have truth could be the unlocking of peace that you're trying to find everywhere else because you're storing up a treasure, and when you need peace, the treasure comes out of your heavenly bank account into your mind and your heart and your soul. You're shifting a dimension from heaven to earth. You're you're storing up treasures, treasures to be released because you're walking in the presence of God. And if God is in heaven and if I'm in his presence, I must be in a dimension of heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Not will be on the earth, as it, but on the earth now as it is in heaven. We have the authority and the ability to bring that to us, but we're not because we would rather not offend someone than stand for truth. But when you stand for truth, a reward awaits you in heaven. Think about, you ever heard the Daniel fast? That's based off of a 21-day battle of Daniel that that was being fought. And if you read it, you know why it was a 21-day fight? Because the treasure of heaven was released, and he had to fight 21 days to get it through the dimension of heaven to the dimension of earth, and it came. Is this interesting? That's what we're storing up. So I say let's pursue truth, and no matter what it offends, remember but there is something greater that you are pressing on for. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God gives me a blueprint and a way to access things that other people have to pay for on the earth. What do you mean? Well, you can get peace if you're down and you're depressed by paying 60 or $70 at the bar on a Friday night. You can get your porn subscription all you want to take care of your lust. Am I talking to anyone? And no one's going to say none of that. God says, they're wasting their bank account when I have it for free but you're not being bold enough to pursue a life that is worthy of saying you live in truth and you don't care what anyone thinks about it. And Jesus was so much living in truth that even the ones who end up crucifying were attracted to him because of love they've never seen. So let's make sure we balance this out right. Living in truth, people will be attracted to what you have because they don't have it. They won't be pushed away because you're a cynical religious Christian. But there will be those who come against you. And the goal is not to win them. The goal is, this is where I stand. You can come to this side or you can stay. The gospel cuts like a sword. It divides those who know him and those who don't. Look at what happens in the next verse, verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders... And teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or whose name have you done this? Now remember, Peter and John have just spent a night in jail. Now they are coming before the court. Talk about intimidation. This wasn't one guy or a couple guys saying, What you doing? This is the rulers, the elders, the teachers, the priests, and the priestly entourage. And they demanded and boldly intimidated, who are you doing this in the name of? On whose authority do you come into our courts and our systems and our government and our religion and tell everyone that what we're saying is wrong? Who are you? There is a very big intimidation factor that everyone is coming against them. And the same group of leaders that was mentioned is the exact same group that condemned Jesus to the crucifixion. They were there to let Peter and John know we had the power to do to you exactly what we did to the man that you're talking about. Can you imagine how nervous Peter and John must have been facing the very group that killed the Messiah 50 or 60 days prior? This was a big intimidation factor. And these guardians of religion, their Jewish religion, they said, what power have you healed and done this? They knew that these guys could kill them in an instant. And look at what Peter and John, in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people. I'm going to stop right there. Notice What it says is it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why it's important that we need to know he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, they would have never survived under that level of intimidation. And you want to know why many of us fail in the midst of confrontation? Because we're not filled with anything. And when confrontation comes, we buckle under pressure instead of standing our ground. And we submit to the authorities of the world rather than the authorities of our God. We, 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 we cave under pressure at work, in our families, in our friendships, and we make so many compromises. Not because you don't know the truth, but because you have not created such a lifestyle seeking that you are not filled with the power that's available to you so that when confrontation comes, a boldness rises up that you don't have to answer a question that could end you. I hear it all the time. I can't talk about Jesus because I don't want to lose my job. Well, that shows how much faith you have in your God of what he would do if you had to lose it for his name. Now, I'm not saying go to your job and hold up a sign saying Jesus is the... That's not what I'm saying. That's called picketing and rioting. (laughs) But what I am saying is when it comes down to it, and you know in that moment, the Holy Spirit tells you to speak truth or someone says, you're wrong, you have to be able to risk everything to give him glory. But the church that is not on fire will not be willing to risk anything because we have a lack of faith which comes from a minimal or lack of power by the Holy Spirit that you claim that you have. And remember what we've taught on. When you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit, but the amount of power that works through you is what is the level of baptism that you will em- that you will baptize yourself in his presence. What do I mean by that? Baptism is to be immersed in. That's be baptized in water, you are fully immersed in what? Water. So you want to know how you are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit? You have to be seeking him to such a degree that you are totally in his presence so that when the time comes, you develop a lifestyle of being immersed in him rather than being immersed in the culture of the world. Because if you immerse yourself in the culture of the world, you won't be able to discern his voice. But if you immerse, immerse yourself in the spirit, you'll never question, did I hear God? Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the of the devil. You better gear up because you'll need his power to stand firm, especially when opposition comes. Put on the armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And the more and more I seek and get into God's presence and understand what he wants for us, and when I say us, I mean the church. That's relentless, that's compassion, that's pool first Baptist, that's Pooler Church, that's Pooler Bible Church, that's every that's anyone who says we the church. If we're gonna stand firm against the strategies of the of the devil, because it's coming against us, we need to gear up. I did a whole series when we first started Relentless called Gear Up about the the armor of God. I encourage you to go listen to it. It's probably not very good because I wasn't that great back then, but not that I'm great now, but it was it, it just it was horrible. Um but there was good truth in it. You've got to gear up, you gotta put on the armor of God. You've got you've got to carry the sword of the spirit, you've got to know the word, you've got to know the truth, you've got to know that you are in right standing with the Father and you can boldly approach his throne. Early in worship, I remember coming up here to the stage, because I was boldly approaching. I said, God, you've got to do this again. I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just trying to give you a testimony. Are you so immersed in him that when a strategy of the enemy comes against you and it's real, not just like a, oh, I felt a presence in my bedroom last night, which happens but I'm talking about like some real life stuff that we don't want to attribute to anything supernatural, like medical condition. Like when you your friends turn your back on you and you are crying over your friends instead of getting immersed into the presence of God who says, if you will immerse yourself in me and be bold, all the friends that you think you lost, I will release because you just stored up friendship treasure in heaven. Think about it. I don't have any friends. Well, because you keep storing your treasure up in the acceptance of crappy ones and you and you wonder why you're not getting into a new step with God because you're not willing to walk out alone for a season believing that there is treasure in being bold enough to to do exactly what the disciples did I can't live with y'all anymore. I'm walking with this crazy dude who says he's the Messiah. They separated themselves, and they became so bold in him that they ministered to those who they walked away from. Are you so bold in, in seeking God that you're willing to walk away from them to be in a place that you can minister to the ones who need what they don't know, but you were too scared to tell them? That's a church on fire. Hey, man, I got to walk away so that you can see my life change. So I'm going to walk in steps so he can change my life. And then one day you get into this place where you look different, you speak different, you react different. And the man they knew is no longer the man they see. And when they say, what changed? You say, I walked into the man he saw. I walked into the woman that my God made me to be. And you never saw it. But let me introduce myself. you got to remember, Peter and John were not the ones that people were going to think were going to come in the temple with an entourage of priests and leaders and captains of the guard, just mere fishermen. No one imagined that these guys would come into the temple saying, everything you're teaching is wrong. But here they were. Look what happens in verse 9. I'm going to read verse 8 again, but keep 9 up there. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? See, that, that's that's my style, like the sarcasm. <laughs> you know, like, are, you, are, are we really on trial because we healed somebody? Like, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, I, I love the boldness of Peter right here. Let, let, let me make this clear Let me clearly state to all of you And to all the people of Israel That he was healed By the powerful name of Jesus Christ The Nazarene The man that you crucified But whom God raised from the dead for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. And I'm going to say this a little differently before I read what it actually says. You know what they're saying? They're saying he's the one that's referred to in the thing that you're reading and you're keeping hoping will come. He's that guy. He's like, you are so wrapped up in your religious practice that you miss the guy that you're reading about. And the Jewish religion is still reading about that guy. They got everything right about the fact they're still waiting on the one who already did everything needed to accomplish. He says, Jesus is the, that guy you crucified is the one that you're reading about, where it says the stone, see, they knew what, they knew the scripture. He says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. 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 You can't get to God by all religions. You can't get to God by all beliefs. There is only one. Only one. Only one. Stop making your Buddhist friend feel better that they're going to heaven because they practice their own thing. No, they are not. Your wicked friends are not going to be in the courts of heaven. They're not going to live the eternity with the Father. Your Buddhist friends won't. Your Islamist friends won't. Your your Jehovah's Witnesses won't. It's Jesus. Your your Mormon friends ain't getting there. The ones who believe that we were born out of volcano fire and Star Wars stuff. There's only one way. Y'all don't believe me? Read about it. No, don't read about it. Read the scripture. <laughs> For Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says the stony bulls has not become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven. Not Muhammad, not anyone, no other, no other name by which we must be saved. Peter gave, I just did I just go Alabama. Peter. Peter gave all credit to the very man, of this council right here, said to crucify him. All right. People, here. Ha! All right. <laughs> it's the brain tumor. It's the brain tumor. <laughs> just, oh, too soon, too soon, too soon. Oh. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all pray for me. He says, You people, you religious people, you build your lives on stones. And you rejected the stone you needed. He said that was the cornerstone. You want to know what a cornerstone is? It is the stone that is set that all other stones are to be set in reference to with a foundation. What does that mean? What they're doing in their religious practice may not be bad. It's the stone is set in reference to something else. It's not a bad thing to go to the temple every day at 3 o'clock and pray like they do in Israel. But their stone of praying at 3 o'clock is not set in reference to Jesus. It's set in reference to when is is the Messiah coming. If they would set it in reference to he has come, the 3 o'clock prayer will be shifted to a different area. Religion is I've got to get to church so that I can be right with God. That is a stone set in reference to religion. If I set my I've got to get to church on Saturday and Sunday to Jesus, it's not this is going to make me right, it's this is going to get me equipped to walk in what I am rightly paid to be. He paid for your righteousness, and he raised up apostles, prophets, uh, pastors, evangelists, and teachers to equip you to walk in how he sees you as righteous that you don't have to pay for. So get your stones set in reference to the right thing. He says, your stones are out of reference. You're here praying for something that already happened. You rejected him. I wonder how many of the stones in our lives are out of sync because we don't align things with truth and the power of the word of God. Are all of your ways set in reference to the truth that the stone, the cornerstone gave? Are your yeses set in reference to him? Are your noes set in reference to him? Is what you please set in reference to him? Is your lifestyle set in reference? Is everything set in reference? And if it's not, it's that truth is not set forth to condemn you to make you feel bad. It's there to let your eyes be open and your deaf ears be opened so that you will see where you need to realign so that your foundation is so much stronger to be filled with so much more power to overcome everything that the enemy will come against you with. Are y'all hearing me? Hmm. Go to verse 13, Josh. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the healing. Nope. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness. Of Peter and John. For they could for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as a man who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healing standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. These unarmed, uneducated men who were alone and did not come in with an army or an entourage spoke with such boldness that the account that the council couldn't say a thing and you know what's funny in that scripture it says they recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus this council just put that man Jesus to death and they didn't recognize his resurrection this would have been the opportune moment for that council to say you're talking lies But you know what? They didn't. They couldn't deny it. They just rejected it. But isn't that what we do with truth? We know what truth is in the Bible, and a lot of us don't deny it, but we reject it. Oh, we're in a new day. That was an old time. That was old practice. God's not like that. Yes, he is. And that's okay. I want a God that will tell me what my can, You want, you want to know why we should embrace a God that tells me where our limits are? Think about the garden of Good, uh, of the uh, uh, garden of Eden. We look at them being put out of the garden as punishment. But what if them being put out of the garden was actually protection? Because there wasn't just one tree that was named in the book. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then there was another tree. Tree of life. Satan existed in eternity, rebelled against God, and fell forever with no chance of forgiveness or redemption. The moment that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they saw things that they were never allowed to see, at that moment, they saw no more limits because before they ate of that fruit, all they saw was the knowledge of good. But when they ate from it, they saw a knowledge of evil. In that moment of falling, If they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have spent eternity in a fallen state. So instead, God says, I'm not going to let you eat of this tree yet. Get out of my garden. That's why Jesus is later referred to as the tree of life. Because the way we eat of it is through him who was perfect, who paid for us the right to eat of eternal life. There's so much more to the garden than just punishment. So going back to what I was about to say, I embrace a God who says don't because the things that he says no to, I was never supposed to see. And there are so many things that we make excuses for in this world of I can do because it's there. There's a lot of things that are in this world that is there, and we think that because they're there, it means God created it for us. No, no, no. There are certain things that were there that you were never supposed to see that was never meant for you. It may have served a purpose that we never knew about. But because of the pride and the fall of man, we make everything about it. It's for me. It's for me. It's for me. Jesus says, No, you know, you be a servant of all. Is this okay? (sighs) My iPad just died. Guess what? I'm going to preach without notes. What verse was I at? (laughs) Hmm. Let's start at 14. Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. Can one of y'all take care of that? But, ginger power. <laughs> ginger power. Oh, man. I'm going pray for y'all, too. <laughs> but since they could not see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. Verse 15. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Verse sixteen: What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have been performed. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Remember, two thousand more people were believing while Peter and John got in jail. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Hmm. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. You know what I find interesting about this in this moment? These religious people, believed so much that Peter and John were wrong about Jesus. And instead, I mean, let's think, they really believed that they were talking truth. Let, let's play that card for a second. <clears throat> let's say that they were right. We know that they're wrong. Let me go ahead and make sure that you know that. But let's say that they were right. They didn't choose to do anything when Peter and John so that they could show the crowd the truth it says they were scared that the crowd was going to riot in other words they didn't care about their truth they cared about appeasing the crowd all the while the reason Peter and John were standing there in this moment was because they were not appeasing anyone except their god and being bold in confrontation when confront let me make sure I make this clear When confrontation comes as a result of the truth you're walking in. It's not your job to invite confrontation. That's why we're told if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other. Because you're not trying to invite confrontation by being prideful and doing all this and, and all that. Thank you. What's going on is they're saying... When we're walking in the boldness of Jesus and in his truth, when confrontation comes, we don't care what you think of us. We are walking in his name. Hmm. So awesome. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 again. They ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber, conferred among themselves. What should we do with them? We can't deny that they've been performed a miracle sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak. So they call the apostles back in. You know what's interesting about this? Hmm. We find out in Acts 26 that there was a certain man among this council. And the man's name at this time was Saul. Who would later become the apostle Paul. You want to know why we don't seek out confrontation? You want to know why we have to be bold when confrontation comes? Because the very person accusing you could be someone called to do greater things than you could have ever imagined. The person who's calling you an idiot and a failure and saying you're worth nothing and saying you're a liar... Because you're walking in the name of Jesus, they could be the next apostle that God wants to bring restoration to church. And instead of ministering to them with being bold in truth, you would rather stand back and allow them to live in a false one. That's that's why honor is such a big thing in the church. And when I say in the church, I don't mean within the the walls of a church. I mean the church on fire needs to be a people who honor all. You want to know why? Because Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It says this, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. When they looked at Jesus from a human point of view, they killed him. Saul was one of those guys. But now, he says, I don't look at people that way anymore. When I see someone who, who offends me, I don't see a worthless piece of junk. I see a child of God who is lost, and I'm going to call him a prodigal. Let me just say even more bolder, because this is a big thing in the, 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 what's going on in the, in, the, in the prophetic area. Prodigals are not just people who are lost from family who grew up in church. Prodigals is every single son or daughter who has wandered away from the true father. So when we say the prodigal's returning home, it ain't just good preacher's kids who left the fold. It's everyone out there who is living a life total opposite of what the best father they never knew they had wanted them to live. So we don't view them as a drug addict or an alcoholic or as pitiful or as a waste or this or that. We view them as there is something in them that they cannot tap into until they hear truth and the way that they're going to hear it is my life. These men can't deny the miracle, but they refuse to be humble and submit to the one true God that worked through these nobodies named Peter and John. <laughs> and look at what Peter and John say when they say, you've got to stop talking about it. When they say, Peter and John, you got to stop talking about Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, so you think that God wants us to obey you. <laughs> Rather than him. We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. I love the boldness. He's like, who do you think we're going to listen to? You killed him, and he was walking up on the earth three days later, and he's gone, and people are still being healed. And the only reason they had that boldness because they were so full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Peter and John, remembering the command, being filled with the Holy Spirit, says, no, we're on one mission, and that's not to appease you. is to fulfill what our God wants us to do, and our God does not want us to back down. We are here to tell you the reason that that man is walking is not because of us, and it's not because of religious stuff that you've been trying to get him to do because it hadn't worked for 40 years. The reason that that man is walking is because the man that you killed died for us, set us right in reference to the cornerstone, and because we're set in reference and we've been seeking him, we've, we've been filled with the power that we unleashed a treasure of heaven called healing into a man that never knew he could be healed. And church, that exact same thing can happen today if we would really begin to seek him. Stop trying to pay for your righteousness. Don't come here just so you can get church in. That's paying for righteousness. Come here to get equipped and then put it to work. Verse 21. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Here again, the reason that he didn't do anything is because they were concerned with what the crowd would do, not about what they actually thought was their truth. Acts 23, four, or chapter 4, verse 23. I'm getting to the end. As soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And I want to say, I think we forget a lot of times to come back to the house with a report. Sometimes the r- report is simply, I've got a testimony to share of what happened today. Sometimes the report is, this is what's happening out there. We can't know what to change if people ain't talking about what needs to be changed. And I think the church does way too much Let's pray that it gets fixed and not enough of let's talk about what needs to be fixed and not just about what's going to make us feel better. That's actually not changing anything. Verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, As you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod and Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were so rooted in scripture and truth that they said this was prophesied about. This was going to happen. So God, we know it's your will. So we're not going to pray that you will protect us. We're going to pray for more boldness to do it again and again and again and again. Because we are going to preach your word. We are going to live your truth. We are not going to bow down to the schemes of the enemy. We are going to live according to what you told us to live by. And you do what you want to do. And they said... We're praying for boldness to preach and you stretch out your hands and let the signs and the wonders and all these things come. This is where we get it wrong. We think we're supposed to pray for signs and wonders. No. You pray to live boldly in truth so that when God stretches out his hand, he has a vessel to release miracle signs and wonders through when he wants. And the reason the church is so messed up, we try to. I've I've saying every week, and I'll keep saying it. We're trying to get people to come in here, to come here to get healed, come here to get this, come here to get a word. And what the apostles did, which they saw results from, was not God. We need we we need we need signs. We I'm I'm gonna even say it, which we probably need to take it off of our vision thing outside. We they didn't say God. We pray for revival. No, they were being revived because they prayed for boldness to live in truth. Revival's not the goal, revival is a step to total restoration. They're not praying for, you know, powerful water to come in baptism tanks, even though it's happening in North Georgia, in case you didn't know. But they're not praying for that. They're saying, God, give us boldness to live in your truth and preach your truth so that you can stretch out your hand and do whatever the heck you want, and we don't even know what it looks like. Where's the boldness? And look what happens. This is so cool because it proves what I said a few weeks ago was right. Um, (laughs) That was a joke. But seriously, Acts 4.31 And I didn't even know this was here until I read it. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I I thought everyone teaches that they got a second baptism. Like they got the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. No, 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 no! You know what's happening here? They were immersing themselves again. They were being baptized again in the presence of God, so they were filled again. You don't know why? Because when we get filled with the power, we're not supposed to harness it so we can feel good. We're supposed to do what? Let it be released. And when it's gone, you know what? We have failed. It's when we see a healing take place, we never get together and say, God, fill us up again. We never say, God, give us more boldness to do it, whatever you want. We just think we walk in this, like, electricity, like, oh. <laughs> That's what we think. We think we just walk around and sound, you know, like, like we're speaking in tongues when half the times people ain't. And we, and we just, in the name of Jesus, just, that like, that, was that weird for you? That, like, we, we just think that it's all about, like, let, let's be kooky. No, 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 no. Let that stuff happen when he wants it to happen by a continual submission to I need to seek you. I need to be filled with you so that it can be released in your timing how you want without any expectation of what I think is going to happen. I'm st- this is really bold. I'm gonna say it anyways. I know my time's like way past time, but it's okay. I'm not so sure people walk in a healing anointing. I think people are limiting themselves to that the only thing they can do is heal. Because it's accessible to everybody. I don't wanna be limited to I'm a great teacher. There's more in me that I haven't figured out. So why should I settle for one gift when he says, hear all of them? He's a healer. No, 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 no. Healing happens through him, but there's more. Are are y'all hearing me? It's seeking, it's truth, it's boldness. And they were filled again and says, then they preached the word of God with boldness after the court just threatened to kill them if they said it ever again. It says in verse 32 all the believers were unified in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Look at this. The 2,000 who were just added just took on the same conviction as the 3,000 before because they were unified. I would say that a church struggling is an immediate indication that there's no unity. And I'm going to say this. I don't think struggling to raise money for this is an indication that we're not unified. Because that's not a struggle. You want to know why? Because we don't need that for unity. If the money's not coming in now, maybe God's simply saying, I don't want you to have it by Easter because, Kyle, you don't get to set that timeline. I'm okay with that. What if God says... I still have purpose for this right now. But if you want to give, go to relentlesschurchsb.com and click Gene Big. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> Look at verse 33. I'm closing up. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them, bring the money to the apostles, give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. You son of encouragement. He was, from, he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field and bought the money to the apostles. The power of God came in. They were filled again. And now 5,000 were added to the church altogether at this point. And they gave up everything. Because they recognize the truth that so often is overlooked. The Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So if you're going to walk in boldness, you have nothing to lose because it was never yours to lose. If it's God's, I steward it as he directs. And if he says to leave it, I will because it was never mine to keep. If he says give an offering, it wasn't mine. If he says give a service, it wasn't mine. If he says go speak to the person, that moment that I'm in the grocery store is not mine. It's mine to steward. I'm going for milk, but maybe someone needs something up. Maybe they need a different kind of milk. I, I wrote this down. I was going to post it on Facebook, but I decided not to. And I wasn't going to share it tonight, but I'm going to share it it right now. I wrote this. Salvation is a point of entry, not the pinnacle experience. A wonderful and necessary place to start, but a horrible place to stop. Church is all about the salvation experience. It's the beginning. Maybe your trip from milk to the grocery store was actually meant to give them the milk, if you will, of you want to start a new life, it starts with him. And I'll close with this scripture, and I'm done. Ephesians three ten through 12. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authority in the heavenly places. You see, Peter and John were never on a mission to convert the priests it was to show all the unseen. You don't get to call the shots anymore. All those strategies coming against your family, coming against your business, coming against you, walking boldly is not to prove yourself before men. It's to make known that there is no authority that has anything on you except Jesus. Jesus. This was his eternal plan, which he carried throughout Christ Jesus, our Lord, because of Christ and our faith in him. We can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So let us be a church so on fire and so so bold that he can display his greatness however he wants, in front of whoever he wants, whenever he wants, through a church that is willing to embrace, I'm going to be bold for my God. And I will not back down when confrontation comes against me. Amen.